Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network is a Moonsault Media production and is intended for private use only. For more information, contact RetromaniaPodcast at gmail.com. The following recording is a production of Kicking Out at Two in conjunction with the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network and is intended for private use only. For more information, head on over to Facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out at Two or our Twitter handle, at Out 2 along with searching Retromania with a W on any and all podcast platforms available to listen to archive shows such as this and all the great content of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Evergreen content at your fingertips anytime at your listening pleasure. And with that being said, we thank you for listening and hope you enjoy the show. This is Marking Out the Days, the rebrand season here on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm one half of the hosting squad, Dave Rosenbluth, from Kicking Out at Two. And joining me, as always, in the co-pilot seat, or sometimes he is the pilot, but he's mainly the architect of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. The man that crosses the T's and dots the I's. Kobe Nider, what's up, dude? Hey, hey, Dave. Thank you for uh, getting back together. Marking Out the Days, the rebrand season, man. Uh, every month we're dropping new Mark Out the Days content. Um, this is fun. It, it's different. You know, it's 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 one magnified uh, topic essentially. Uh, the last one yes. was fun. Um, we had a lot of fun with that. Um, yeah, it, it's great. Yeah, some some we did a SummerSlam Mount Rushmore this this month. We're covering September, and you know we we been, you know back and forth been kind of discussing what we wanted to, to cover in September. Originally, we were going to cover a UK one-night-only show for WWF in September of 97. But then we but said, I crikey. Thought, yeah. <laughs> That's Australian, isn't it? Oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. Well, yeah. then we said, on with that rubbish. <laughs> there you go. There you go. My, my brother-in-law is, is from England, actually, so right. he should know this. I'll have to, I'll have to get in contact with him these days uh, about the, 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 the language. But anyhow, um, we kind of put that to bed. And then we were going to cover the the Royal Albert Hall Battle Royal. That was a request from our our special listener, Nick Opaluski. And uh, Nick, don't worry, we didn't forget about you because that's going to we're going to be covering next month. We're going to cover the Battle Royal at Royal, Royal Albert Hall, a watch along, uh, just for you because you had requested it. Uh, you requested it a long time ago, and we tried to fit it into the timeline of of uh, when WWE was going overseas for the Cardiff show. But, you know, schedules, you know, got a little mixed up. So 
Figured why don't we cover it in October because that's when it took place. But this month, September, we're covering a, a very interesting date in the month of September. We're covering September the 22nd, 1997, because a lot took place behind the scenes as well as in front of the camera um, when it comes to both Monday Night Raw and the WWF and WCW Monday Nitro as well. Uh, but before we do that, Kobe, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about our thoughts on the current product and what we've been seeing currently in the world of wrestling? Whew. A lot of things happening, uh, especially since we last spoke um, on your show, Kicking Out of Two, about the post-weekend uh, that was. Which got, which got a lot of, you know what, let's update for a moment. Because for those of you that follow and listen, uh, not to cut you off, but uh, my, my, my comments towards a certain individual garnered a lot of heat from individuals in that group, the Save American Wrestling Group. And uh, no, I, I won't name names. Uh, but uh, there were some folks there that, that weren't pleased with how I conducted myself. And I still stand by how I felt and how I projected those thoughts and feelings. But for those, of, for those individuals in the group that were offended by my actions, and I'm not talking about the individual that I was directing those comments towards, but the individuals that were, that were upset, offended, affected by my actions, I apologize for offending you. But I don't apologize for how I feel. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. Okay. I mean, if you want to listen to my thoughts and comments, you can find the episode, the Labor Day Weekend Scrum in the archives, kicking out at two over at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Now we're searching Retromania with a W. Yeah, this is a uh, this is some hardcore heavy stuff. If you ever run like as a political, you know, candidate, this is stuff that'll get you a uh, 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 you know. I have no desire to be thrown politics. off the ballot, That's man. The, the, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm that, kidding. That, I'm fucking yeah. kidding. It's not even that bad, <laughs> folks. Uh, so yeah, we had a lot of fun discussing all that stuff over the weekend. That was the media scrum weekend. Um, and what has fallen out since then? Uh, I've enjoyed WWE a lot, and we've been talking a lot about that uh, off air. You and I just how much we enjoy the the current product. Um, yeah. And I honestly, not a big Moxley guy, and I know this is getting a lot of traffic now, but that Moxley promo that he he laid out last week, um, we are currently recording this on a Wednesday, so we don't know what the next Dynamite's going to entail after the media scrum, but the promo that Moxley laid out on Wednesday before was amazing. Um, yeah. I came full circle on the guy. Um, I really still don't like the match ethics of like going out to the outside, blading yourself, like continuous. It's the same thing over and over. Um, I like the way he worked a little bit more in WWE. Um, that being said, that was an amazing promo. Um, really love that. Like the, there's more match time given to the stars on WWE now. Have you noticed that? I have. Uh, they've they've dedicated more time, especially to the women's uh, the women's matches and mainly the women's tag team division. Uh, that's been a big focal point, as well as they've really tried to beef up the United States and Intercontinental Championships and add more prestige to those to those titles as well on Raw and SmackDown. Um, I even though I haven't watched it, the NXT show, which is now as of this recording, it's now simply known as NXT. It's not NXT 2.0 anymore. Okay. It seems like we're getting a little bit. Seems like we we have reverted back to the the black and gold um, 
era of NXT. Uh, those individuals, they've gotten some more time. It's not as hokey as it was uh, when you know they had debuted this new concept for NXT over a year ago. So uh, it seems they, they seem to be making steps towards progress in the presentation of the product, even as far as like some of the um, <clears throat> some of the the. Like the backstage vignettes, I don't know if you watched Raw on Monday, but the 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 exclusive interview with Miz in his home mm-hmm. and the way that was produced, uh, the lighting and the different camera shots and the way that, that the camera cut to certain things, uh, it wasn't as Vince McMahon-like, hands-on, as we've seen in the past. Uh, with the over-the-top lighting and like the, the, the bright spotlights and then like the the, the weird color background lights that you would see and things like that. Uh, yeah, I have like it, purple it, the, decorative lights in the background of my house. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or here's another thing too you used to see a lot, and this used to drive me nuts, is that you would go into a wrestler's locker room, like they would, they would film a vignette in the wrestler's locker room, and you would see all their merchandise Hung like up. hanging from each locker. <laughs> so so like 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 the guy's a fucking slob or something. Like he's got one t-shirt over in this locker, he's got a headband over here, he's got a wrist tape over there. Like, you know, and it's all got their name on it. It's all done to market and shield of merchandise. You know, they're, they're, the Roman Reigns pendant, you know, that you hang around your neck with his logo is hanging from the locker over there and his gym bag that's got his name on it. And then a t-shirt hanging from this locker, a teddy bear over yeah, here. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. The wrestling, like the wrestling, like it's like just shilling, just shilling. Yeah, oh, like over the, like way over the top. You know what I mean? Like, and and you have this one locker room. You're one individual, but you have to take up all the space with all your merchandise. (laughs) Like, you can't share the fucking locker room with everybody else. What do you got? It's ridiculous. Exactly. It's just my merch. It's just my merch. You know? Oh man, I know, right? Uh, like, yeah, hold on, hold on. You can't use that locker. I gotta hang my one T-shirt we from might, the fucking from the fucking railing. We might skid off the rails just a little bit. Uh, no pun intended. Just a little bit. No pun intended. What What are your thoughts on wrestlers wearing their own T-shirts to the ring and like their own merch in general? Um, I'm okay with it, but every now and then I wouldn't mind a little real life where someone comes out without their T-shirt on that yeah. has their name and, and the logo. But at the same time, I get it and I understand like that that aspect. That doesn't bother me too much. I like maybe giving it to a I fan, you know, like you you come out with the shirt, but you're giving it to a fan. Yeah, but everyone, yeah, but everyone's everyone's going to do the Bret Hart thing where they go out and they hand off the the t shirt or the hat or the, the 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 armband or whatever to the you know to to the fan in the front. Here's here's one thing that that, that kind of coincides with that too is that a lot of times. And, and we don't see enough of this, but I get it for I, for identity purposes and for laying out the story the way they used to present things. But, you know, there will be a, a, a situation in the ring where the guys, you know, a couple guys will double team someone. It's like a post-match beatdown. It's like a two-on-one type of thing. And then they play the music of the individual that's going to make the save. Now, I know that they want <laughs> no, to identify. I, I hate it. They want you to identify with the, you know, with, with who's coming out. but. Like, I think if you watch enough, you'll know who it is. You don't need a reminder that, you know, that by by someone playing their music. Same thing when they walk backstage. They'll film somebody walking backstage to the ring, and then they'll put the graphic up underneath. They call it the lower third in television, folks. The lower third with their name on it. If you watch enough, you will find, 
You'll you'll know who that person is. There, I, I don't believe that there's a regular individual that's channeled. You know, yeah, the Chiron, the, the Chiron remote. comes on and, and it says the Miz. Yeah, like, so like hmm. they'll, they'll 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 flip through the channels, and be like, oh, is this wrestling? Oh, I don't know who that guy. Oh, wait, it says he's the Miz underneath. I hardly think that people are flipping through the channels at that fucking exact time to 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 figure out who the fuck that individual is. Yeah, that's just me. Okay, but nonetheless, I will say that over as far as WWE's overall presentation goes, they've been making steps in the right direction to add a little bit more consistency as well as some more realism to their presentation while kind of staying in that sports entertainment realm, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 mm-hmm. I think I think Hunter's trying to balance out both. He's still trying to respect the old man's vision for sports entertainment while bringing his form of it with a slice of what sports entertainment was before, pro wrestling, and mixing it together and merging it. And I think he's done a pretty damn good job so far. I mean, not everything he's touched has turned to gold, but I think overall there's been a good progression. Certain guys in certain positions, you know, the, the Kevin Owens is really moving up. Uh, the, the you know the the debut of Karrion Cross. They've put more emphasis on tag teams. They've brought Braun Strowman back. Um, Even so, the I mean, WWE this, the story over- of Raw was threaded throughout and SmackDown. Um, yes, you know there, the yeah, story there's, there's, is, there's, is more like threaded throughout the whole episode. Mm-hmm. You didn't see a lot of that. You just saw kind of, and and you'll see, you won't see, you won't see rematches for the sake of rematches. There's some, there's some, there's a story behind it. They don't just throw two guys out there and be like, oh yeah, they wrestled last week. Let's throw them out there again. Fill some time. They don't do that, mm-hmm. which I think has been has been very helpful as far as AEW goes. Um, and that actually protects fifty fifty booking. Uh, yes, so it certainly does. Like you don't get a guy having so many losses, and you keep a guy over. Because as much as we've talked about it before, I think we both kind of agree wins and losses do kind of matter depending on the situation. So if you guys, yes, oh yeah, if you guys, if you guys are like Dolph Ziggler and Kofi Kingston, look how long it took for those guys to actually get over. You know, um, yeah, I mean it, it. It took a while, and I think the fifty-fifty booking was a hindrance to them. You know, based on the individual stories that they were that they were portrayed in. Yeah, um, and, and moving, I do agree with you there. Yeah, moving on to AEW. What, what were you saying? I mean, the Moxley promo. Uh, it was very good. It was it, it was timely because of everything that took place at that media scrum. The, the 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 buzz that the company had received. I'm still on the fence that it's a work. I'm, I'm, I'm hey, like 60, we talked 40. about it. We talked about it on your episode. Everybody go back in the you know, archive. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll kind of elaborate here just a little bit. The, the things that, that were allowed to be said and done, like, and also something that came to mind too, was there's been a lot, there's been footage of the scrum that has been put out there that have either debunked the work theory or have added some validity to it. When they show Jericho being questioned, and Jericho gets up at the end of the at the end of his portion of the scrum, and he whispers in Khan's ear. Well, he doesn't whisper; you could see, you could hear it almost clear as day. He's like, "Hey, some shit just went down in the back," and Khan doesn't even blink an eye, and then sits back down and continues the media scrum. If you're the fucking boss, if you're the one that writes the checks, wouldn't you want to go back there and see what the fuck is going on? Right. Fuck being a part of this media scrum. They're not asking you all the questions. They're asking the guys on camera all the questions. And what is up so with this could... media scrum? This is this is totally a work. You know, it's like a New Japan thing. 
uh, honestly. Because they have media yeah. scrums afterwards, which are which are partially kayfabe, which are partially real, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's how you kind of get more context into these these inner feuds or stories that we have going on uh, in all the media right now in wrestling media is the Elite and CM Punk and Ace Steel, which the memes are fucking uh, on fire this whole this whole week, too. Yeah, the memes are just the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> I've participated in it. I've gotten in debates with people over it. Um, I mean, the but that's a method to their madness in a way. I mean, you, 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 you and I both agree that there is heavily worked aspects of this. Just like we could talk about later, coming up, yep. uh, uh, maybe, maybe with the Montreal screw job which yeah. people have talked about for 25 years. Yeah. Maybe they'll talk about this media scrum, the media scrum. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, like I said, I lean towards it being a work. I lean towards there's some being, there being some issues between these guys and that they've decided, Oh, let's turn this into an angle. Uh, well, the lawyers won't even talk. You yeah. Know, there's no, a third party investigation that's going on. I guess the, the the vice president of HR for the company she was she was present during the during this altercation. Um, granted, they aren't not a public company, so they don't have to speak on this. But um, I find it interesting that there really hasn't been any public um, any, any public announcement made by the company regarding suspensions. It's just dirt sheet banter right now. That Punk, A Steel, the Young Bucks, Pat Buck. Um, Kenny Omega, Christopher Daniels, you know, the individuals that were involved in the physical altercation that they've been suspended. That's all just media talk. That's through Meltzer and, and Alvarez and, and, and all those bike sniffing uh, fucking assholes that, 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 that write that shit. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised. That, that also adds more validity, at least in my opinion, to the fact that this is a work. They haven't even, they yeah. haven't even addressed the issue like i like publicly and if you want to call tony khan coming out on on dynamite and stripping punk of the title and stripping the the elite of the trios titles which he didn't even throw their names out there okay he didn't like i i I truly feel like if this was a real life situation this would be addressed publicly hey the mjf stuff that was never addressed publicly and then he comes in there. The only thing Khan said was at the at the all out scrum, or not the, the the double or nothing scrum, which I hate that word scrum. That sounds like that. That sounds like I know. Yeah, that's just a weird name. Like like that's like like farm animal. Sounds like food. a shitty yeah or a yeah, shitty like like, t- like type of man. Hey Billy Bob, you go like feed a... that pig in the barn some scrum. Like you know what I mean? Like that's what it sounds like. You know, it's not, it's we're gonna not... challenge you to a scrum match. Yeah. We're gonna have a scrum eating contest. You're gonna put your hands I mean, behind your back. All right. And then you go you for thirty seconds we're gonna see how much scrum you can eat. And then we, the the person who eats the most scrum is gonna get the, the golden cowboy boot trophy at the county fair. Like that's what it sounds like. <laughs> but anyways, there, nothing's really been a I mean, MJF, perfect example. He walks out, okay? He does he has this big shoot, drops this promo. Okay, with ter- with Warner Media executives in attendance, they bleep shit out. He walks out. He's never heard from. The only thing that's mentioned by Tony Khan was after after publicly that he would not talk about the MJF incident. I will not comment at this time. And then all of a sudden, it gets turned into a storyline. He shows up at the end of All Out, which was a great way for him to 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 return. 
They do the whole voicemail thing. He's the Joker. He's now the number one contender. He gets the title shot, et cetera, et cetera. So you mean to tell me that this whole thing with Punk and the Bucks and, and the Elite and all that, that's a work? Because we've seen this before. It's the same patterns. Connor's exhibiting the same patterns they did with MJF. I, 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 it, it gives people time off and time to refresh. Um, I agree. I think they're working to something else. Or if not, they were trying to. Um, now Punk's yeah, I think. Yeah, I think, I think it's a way to save face because I think Kenny Omega still hurt. I think Punk still hurt. I think they jumped the gun on this too soon. And this was a way to kind of negate all these guys now. And also, Maybe. too, there wasn't a lot of interest going into All Out. Like, let's be fair, okay? Punk came back, and like you said, he was still hurt, okay? They had that three-minute match with Moxley, and then they, they had a pretty damn good match at the pay-per-view. We talked about it on, on, on my episode of Kicking Out of Two. It was a pretty damn good match. It was probably a match of the night. And then all this happened. Like, yeah. I just, I, it just smells like a big, giant work to me, you know? And 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 it's funny because Meltzer too, okay? Meltzer and Alvarez both. They've been they've been dick riding Tony Khan and AEW since the moment that company was announced. Greatest thing since sliced bread. That's gonna change the wrestling world, right? Anything that mm-hmm. came out of their mouths regarding AEW was fact. But now all of a sudden the the the, the circumstances surrounding this the the altercation after the media scrum between the between those parties that we've the 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 that we've discussed all of a sudden now you're not sure if it's a if it's a work or if it's a shoot you're you're so damn sure all the time that everything that 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 comes out of tony Khan's mouth is fact that everything great about aew is fact but this you're not so sure that's that that that's another telling sign to me that this is a work. Because usually Meltzer and Alvarez are right there. Right there. I mean, and even CM Punk called them out on the while he was like giving his muffin rant, um, which I will call that. He was high on Muffin Hill. Yep. And he he literally was calling out Alvarez and Meltzer about uh, you know, stirring up this bullshit with Colt Cabana, but then it led off to the young bucks. Yep, and and Hangman, who who yeah. wasn't who wasn't there, who wasn't present during that as well, from what I understand. Um, yeah, I, I, as far as the product goes itself, not to you know. Bottom line is, I think this shit's a work, and they're working towards something. Punk's hurt, so it's going to be a bigger deal when he comes back. Um, I, I think they're working people. That's just me. But okay. as far as the product goes, um, how they've transitioned to. They're, thank God they're not doing another interim championship. My Jesus fucking God. Christ. Thank God. Okay? But the tournament itself, I like the idea. They put individuals who are credible in the tournament. They just didn't throw a big battle royal together with half of the Dark roster um, that, that wrestles on Dark <laughs> every week it, like yeah. they did the last time. They, they you know Jericho, Moxley, Guevara, Darby, uh, Hangman. Brian Daniels. Now, where do you think this goes? We might try to this goes. All right. I think this goes Moxley and Danielson. Same here. I think that's That's what I was thinking. And I think. And then we get a a turn of Danielson. 
Uh, I think Danielson needs to be the heel, and Moxley is the face. Yeah, um, I can see that. I can see Danielson cheating to win over Moxley. Because yeah. Think about it. This whole Blackpool combat, combat Club stuff started because of Moxley and Danielson and their rivalry. Yeah. Yep. So I, I, and it I, might be too soon to cut it off, but I think Moxley uh, will be out of the group. Yes, I agree. He seems like he seems like the the you know the 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 out of place piece, um, he, which is yeah, fine. He, he, he he's, offered, o- he's okay with that being the loner. He's almost yeah. like the Stone Cold. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to bring it into this episode, but yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think Danielson can hang with uh, BCC. And just, just you know, be the leader there, the full fledged leader. Yeah. And fuck Moxley, and they'll feud for the title for a little bit. Yep, I could see that for sure. I, I could definitely see that. I think there's more, um, there's there's more mileage. I could even see uh, a Daniel Garcia, who's who who currently is involved in the the Brian Danielson Chris Jericho, uh, uh, rivalry. I could see him playing a part. In Danielson's win over Jericho, or I could see him mm-hmm. playing a part in Danielson's win over Moxley, thus putting him in that group as the a part of the Blackpool Combat Club. I could de- I could definitely see something like that. Actually, I'm going to be going to the Dynamite Grand Slam at Arthur Ashe Stadium in a few weeks, so I'm definitely what? yeah. I actually, you know, it's funny that you know we're talking about it because um, I didn't have plans to go. You know, New York is about two hours from me in Connecticut, but. Uh, because I work as a corrections officer, we are considered first responders, and I'm a part of this group called First Ticks. It's for um, it's for first responders that want to go to like sporting events, concerts, things like that. And there was actually a um, a an ad, an email I got for tickets that were available for this event for Arthur Ashe Stadium, the Grand Slam, uh, in, on the 21st, and so. My wife said to me, she goes, would you want to go? And I said, you want to go with me? She goes, no, go with one of your friends. So all I have to do is pay a ticket fee, and the tickets are virtually free. I don't get to pick where I sit, but I'm in the building nonetheless. So it only cost me really 14 bucks to go to the show, which is going to be pretty fun. Holy shit. So, yeah, so nice. I'm, look, yeah I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and there are parts of AEW that I do like. That's why I'm going to the show. So for those of you listening out there, it's not because I I, I, I dislike AEW, okay? You know, just 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 an FYI for those of you following along, keep it score. I actually do like. Hey, parts Dave, of AEW. did did you still want me to insert the crying uh, sound effect in the background while you while you <laughs> talked over that? <laughs> I mean, if you'd like, but I don't think it's necessary. I think I I think I <sighs> I think I made my point, but I mean, I'm not I'm not going to tell you what to do. That's you know. You're you're the, you're the master of the editing. So the post production edit that's that's all on you. I can't control what you do, but uh, I don't my, don't drag me into this, dude. Yeah, <laughs> have, a, have a fucking faction war here. Yeah, I know. Right? All right. Well, uh, you ready to die? Like all things said, I think I think we've we've caught up uh, pretty well on the current day product. Yes, um, I think we have. So I, I I do think we have, and I, I think wrestling is in a good place. Currently, uh, between all parties hey, involved, enjoy, just enjoy wrestling. That's yes. the new. Uh, that's the new shirt. The new theme. The just new enjoy wrestling, and it's okay if you don't like certain wrestling. You don't have to villainize people for liking or disliking certain wrestling. It's okay. It's quite all right. Uh, you know, it, it, it's as long as you enjoy it. That's that's all. It's all that matters, right? Yes. 
that is all that matters. Uh, Let's go back to a time that all that mattered for me was wrestling. And it was, it was almost as the time is now WCW versus WWF. Yeah. Oh my God. (sighs) September 22nd, 1997. Dave, were you watching this night? I was, I was, I was channel surfing. I I was flipping back and forth and, and, a big part of why I was flipping back and forth because this was, even though it wasn't made that big of a deal on television, the the peripheral wrestling media, known as the Dirt Sheets at that time, they made a big deal out of this evening in particular, mainly Monday Night Raw, because this was the first Monday Night Raw that emanated from Madison Square Garden in its four-year four year existence. Raw had done all the bigger arenas, and they've even scaled back and done some smaller stuff, but Monday Night Raw had never, ever emanated from Madison Square Garden. So this, Isn't that crazy? Yeah, in its four-year existence. I mean, they were, they were at a time, you know, 1993 when Raw debuted, they were running the Manhattan Center a lot, and they were running a lot of, like, armories and high school gyms because the business wasn't very kind to them, you know, for, for the first couple of years. But as things started to pick up in late 96, going into 97, they were running bigger arenas. Even though they weren't filling those arenas, they were able to sustain running bigger arenas, larger markets. And New York had always been a loyal market to the WWF, even during its worst times. Um, And so running Madison Square Garden for the first time in 97, even 25 years ago as, as as a young, pubescent, teenage Dave Rosenbluth remembers it was a big deal it was definitely a big deal and I was and I was looking forward to it I I didn't recognize the big deal um but I guess because it was in New York I was like all right sweet yeah same place that um same place that WrestleMania 10 and WrestleMania 1 took place at and those are memorable moments but uh Hulkamania was born you know, defeating yeah, the Iron yeah, Sheik so yeah. much, snooker off the top well, of the cage to Morocco. It was such. Well, do you want to go? Do you want to go to the audio real quick of that? Yeah, we could do that. Introduce Let's do that. this. I'd, lo- yeah. I'd, lo- I'd love to hear it. In over one hundred countries, in seven different languages, to more than a half billion viewers each week, the World Wrestling Federation, the worldwide leader in sports entertainment. Celebrated as the world's most famous arena, it has served as more than a proving ground for the World Wrestling Federation. The venue has championed itself as the marquee for greatness. in championship glory, it echoes with a legacy of performances which have evolved into a historic contest of Can You Top This? From the 17 consecutive sellout matches which pitted Bruno San Martino against Gorilla Monsoon to the aerial artistry of Superfly Jimmy Snuka. The World Wrestling Federation history has been celebrated here, often with a slam heard round the world. Internationally charged with celebrity status, the World Wrestling Federation redefined sports entertainment in this building. 
moments of bliss. I will. To the bruising ballet that has been unleashed. thoughts i mean so many words so many ventisms or verbiage that is used there uh this transit night this uh this moment that uh is almost recognized with a, a huge slam or as we'll say a stunner yeah it, it's almost set up for this to be the big moment you know yeah i mean it's it, no doubt about it anytime the wwf at that point ran madison square garden it was a big deal, and you saw something big take place, something memorable, something that they put in the Rolodex for highlight reels for generations to come. Usually, it virtually every any time something was televised in the garden, it was something huge happened, and they were definitely setting up something big. Um, would it would it have been a more traditional, grandiose, um, classic moment? During that time period, no, because this was this was the the early stages of the Attitude Era. So this was going to be something. It was still going to be a big moment, but it was going to be presented differently. It wasn't going to have that like traditional, you know, classic style moment around surrounding. Well, much it. like the verbiage, it was the transit. Yes. This is the transition. Yes, this is exactly. The, the show that kind of changes everything. Yes. And in a way, backstage too, right? Oh yeah. And and let's 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 kick things off with that because the I, I mentioned at the top of the, the program starting out that there was something that took place behind the scenes, you know, behind the camera, behind the curtain. On this, you know, on this particular evening at this venue in Madison Square Garden, the site of the very first televised Monday Night Raw from Madison Square Garden. And that was the discussion that Vince McMahon had with Bret the Hitman Hart, which was documented in the in Bret Hart's Wrestling with Shadows documentary that Vince could not afford to fulfill Bret Hart's contractual obligations. And he was offering to assist Bret in finding a better deal with WCW. And this was something that, at least on the surface, in the Wrestling with Shadows documentary, um, was a was a shock and a blow to Brett that Vince was not going to be able to fulfill the contractual obligation. Um, and this is this to me is is just as big a moment as the other two moments that we're going to discuss, mainly being Steve Austin stunning Vince McMahon in the Garden and Goldberg's debut in WCW, because this this really set the wheels in motion for. You know the Montreal Screwjob, which will mm-hmm. which will take place two months later. 
um, in November of 97, which I'm sure that we are going to discuss uh, on this yeah. program. Uh, when the time and much has November. been discussed. Much has been discussed in the uh, Retromania archive. If yes. you want to dive deep, the origin of attitude. Uh, Jimmy and I have definitely discussed this whole uh, incident in depth as far as um, the contract dispute with Brett. Uh, we read from Brett's book and got his perspective. Um, a lot of fun stuff. If you look back, uh, just note that those are the first days of the podcast. So uh, we're now more we're now more fluid here. Uh, um, so it, 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 it was a, it was a long trail, a long trial that, uh, Jimmy and I went through and, uh, covered all these happenings that went on during this time, but it, it was a fun ride for sure. Definitely digging the archive. And I believe you covered some of, uh, uh, this stuff as well, Dave. Yes. As a matter of fact, I, I took a, I took a little bit of a different slant than you on kicking out of two, a couple of years ago with our trading places concept. What if Vince screwed Sean instead of Brett? Mm-hmm. What would have what, what kind of trajectory would Shawn Michaels have had in WCW? What kind of trajectory would have Bret Hart had in the WWF had Vince screwed Shawn instead of Bret? So I kind of put my fantasy booking cap on just a little bit and go through the motions. It was a lot of fun. It's one of my one of one of my I would like to, and I don't toot my own horn, obviously, you know, from time to time, but this time I will toot toot. This is one of my finer episodes that I feel like I, I put a lot of thought and a lot of um uh preparation into uh this Very episode cool. so go check it out what if vince screwed trading places what if vince screwed sean over in the archives yeah. at the retromania pro wrestling podcast network by searching retromania yeah. with a w but yeah absolutely they, like, so here uh, yeah, so here's, i think i think this was a pivotal like moment as far as you're saying like uh like once they knew brett was not going to be in the picture once vince knew and his crew knew whoever was helping book and you know proceeding the following future or you know uh the the fostering this attitude era if you will they knew that austin was the guy brett was the proxy at first for the attitude era yep. he was the he was he was the person that introduced vince Mc, vince mcmahon into the camera as the owner and as some type of uh outside uh conflict with this person uh, you know, kind of shades of gray, if yep. you will. Yeah, I, I. So he, he's the first person to do that, and then Stone Cold, a better actor, uh, a fresher face at the time in WWF, got over. You know. Yeah. And I, this is the night to just pop that cherry. Well, here's 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 what I take from the 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 Brett Vince discussion behind the scenes. Okay, let's let's factor in some things that took place before this. All right. Number one, it was a year prior that Bret Hart's contract was, was had come up. He was off WWF television for a while, and it was rumored that WCW was making a play towards him. And this was in the early days of the NWO storyline. And the narrative that's been put out there by Bret uh, in his book, as well as in interviews, is that WCW made him a significant offer to join their company. And he stayed loyal to the WWF because it was the WWF that made him a household name in the world of wrestling. And so um, Brett would return in November of 96 Survivor Series and have that classic Steve Austin in Madison Square Garden, mind you, of all places. Um, so there's that. And then as time would go on, you know, Brett's, Brett's trajectory in the WWF, he had taken on a 
new attitude, no pun intended, uh, and detailing his shortcomings uh, in championship opportunities and taking it out on the, the, the wrestling fans as well as the individuals that were involved, guys like Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin. So his character was going in a different direction and eventually it led an to attitudinal the, direction. Yeah. An attitudinal direction. I like that. Thank you for intervening. And it was, and it finally blew up to where he was this Canadian hero everywhere else. But in the United States, he was this hated, hated individual with his family, the Hart foundation, which was one of the hottest things in wrestling at that time. You know, the Hart foundation that waged their war on the United States and any wrestler, who represented the United States was instantly over. Whether you were Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin, Legion of Doom, Ken Shamrock, Sid, Psycho Sid, Gold Dust, Mankind, whoever, didn't matter. You were instantly over. Undertaker, not that these guys weren't over before, but they, they there was the American wrestling audience had just another reason to get behind them uh, when they were facing the hearts. So Brett, the, the company was, at least in my opinion, I thought was seeing some type of success with this story. While at the same time, Brett and Sean had their issues. There was the locker room fight in Hartford where Sean threatened to walk out after Brett pulled his hair out of his head. They had the little the little pull apart. Jim Cornette, I think, still owns a piece of Shawn Michaels' hair and a Ziploc bag from it. Um, so there was all of that that had taken place that led to this. And my big question that I had when I was younger, and it's still, it still rings to this day, Given everything Brett has done for that company, given everything Brett had went through, being the being the what they called him at the time, the four hundred and fifty thousand dollar heavyweight champion, which you know all he cared about was being the champ, and uh, the, the the stiffs that he had to work with throughout that time, and the company was not in a great place when Brett was on top. That same could be said for when Diesel was on top, too. Wrestling was not as popular in 94, 95. Same could be said for the whole wrestling business. Well, that's exactly. The whole Hogan resurged with the NWO. Well, right, yeah, right before, right before Hogan you know, turned heel and joined the NWO, wrestling was And it a- was all about merchandise then. Yes. It wasn't about the wrestling even still. Like, a lot of people forget that shit. Yes, you're right, 100%. A lot of it was driven towards merch. But the business itself was just... It wasn't as popular, and you know people would would blame Brett. People had blamed Diesel at one point. People even blamed Hogan when Hogan was on top in WCW as the babyface before he made the the the, the big dramatic heel turn. Well, so there was Brett- almost a flip flop too. I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, there was okay. almost a flip flop too of like uh, like WWF became that shades of gray realism that NWA used to have. Yes. And W and WCW and Jim Crockett had the WC had the NWO hokey like fo, fin, DQ finishes. It was the same thing after a year for a while. Yep. And all of a sudden WWF got on the steam and it was like, you know, older guys were like starting to like the work rate, yep. <laughs> quote unquote, of WWF, you know? Yes. And so my the big question I have now that I've just went around the block about six times. With everything that Brett had contributed to that company and with everything Brett had gone through, okay, how could Vince McMahon not have a place on his roster for Bret Hart? Okay, you can't meet the financial obligation of a 20-year contract, which according to Brett, that contract was supposed to entail having a 
you know, his in-ring career ending, like I'd say, like in his early 40s. Then he would move on to being like a consultant slash maybe even an agent working in the office type of thing. That, oh, that's according to Brett, okay? How could Vince McMahon not have a place on his roster for Bret Hart? And I say that because when Vince has, in the, in the past, when Vince has, has phased out certain guys from certain eras, he's always found a spot for them, okay? When Bruno Yeah, but is it the Bob nice Beck, spot? But here's the thing. But No, here's the thing. He still found a place for them. Bruno, Bruno switched over to commentary and wrestled part-time when they needed help drawing houses. Bob Backlund, okay? Bob Backlund, they brought him back in 94, and they changed his, his, his presentation. He wasn't that white meat baby face anymore. They already was, did that with Brett right now this year. But what I'm saying I think, is... I think they thought that they were out of options. Well, but I don't understand. How could you... For someone like Brett, though, I think there was still mileage. Like, me personally. Like, I think there was still mileage where they could run a personal rivalry with him and Shawn Michaels, even if there wasn't a screw job. I think that that could have had Brett, some miles. I think Brett, I think Brett was Brett still asking. I think Brett was still asking for like uh, the Hogan type thing, top and, guy money. Yeah, and and lesser dates, fewer uh-huh. appearances, lesser bumps, and Vince would not give him that. Okay. So you uh, think Brett drew the, the line the, in the, the sand? The schedule. Yeah, and the schedule that they had in general. Vince but was like, no. Do you think like, he no. did that before Vince came up with the 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 before Vince approached the discussion about not meeting his financial obligations, or do you think that's something that Brett approached with him after? Could have been mediated the whole time. I think he always wanted that Hulk Hogan sweet spot, mm-hmm. as is discussed and we've discussed in the like SummerSlam Hulk Hogan thing with him. Like there was always some type of jealousy with Hogan and him. Yeah, like he thought that he was the purer wrestler the the better technician and he was bigger globally quote unquote mm-hmm. uh that that he should be the guy okay and during the 90s he did kind of take over mm-hmm. and um i think arguing for that position and that money is okay but he doesn't know what's going to happen to his legacy and brett is so prideful uh, about this business and uh, proud about it uh and you know to some degree which will hinder him he thought that he'll go to wcw and start to take over there and literally said that you know Mm. and and i think that's where he thought he could get he could work with vince if vince is willing to help him here to work on that contract um and he gets paid out by wcw and it's as easy as the other guys that are there says it is uh, which we see that it is for Brett once he gets there. Mm-hmm. He gets stifled in the middle, um, shuffled around, uh, concussion after concussion, and then his career is over. Um, he, he gets a little hot moment, but it was like a year or two after he arrived. Why not fucking get that guy right in there after Montreal Screwdrop? We talked oh, about yeah. I mean, uh, well, like, that's, that's another, you know, we, we could discuss that uh, on another day in terms of Brett and his WC. That's a whole episode in and of itself. Brett but I think he, he thought he had promise in WCW for a better payday, lighter days, and being on top of the card. I think, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you there. I just think, do I. Th- 
And as much as it hurt him, he had to do it because Vince wanted him, because he put him in that situation, because Vince was no longer willing to put him over. I I just, I, I honestly, you're not wrong in feeling that way, okay? Let me, let me just first say that. Your, 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 your theory behind that, I don't think is wrong, okay? I do think, though, that there was so much more left on the table for Brett. Okay, let's say he's not the champion. And let's say he's not in the Hogan spot, right? He could still work with guys to help elevate the next era, you know? Then why, they, they, why, why didn't he do it then? What, what is well, your reason? Uh, well, that's, well, that's the million-dollar question. Did that conversation ever happen? Did Vince ever say, you know, listen, I want to keep you here. I can't afford to keep you, but, you know, I need your help in, in preparing these next guys. You know, you had Shamrock. You had The Rock. You could still, like I said, still do stuff with Shawn Michaels. I feel like there was still some unfinished stuff with Austin, okay? A, a match with Plenty Undertaker. Plenty of unfinished stuff with Austin. They yeah. could have headlined a WrestleMania. Well, that's where I originally thought they were going at that time. I originally thought it was going to be him and Austin, and I won't get too far into the weeds there because we'll talk about Austin and, and his his involvement in a minute. But um, I feel like that there, there was room for Brett and. Did did Brett's ego and his issues with Shawn Michaels become so so dominant amongst the day-to-day operations of the company backstage that Vince was just like, well, if I get rid of Brett, not only am I saving myself money, but I'm also saving myself a headache between him and Shawn. Why wasn't there was a lot of clash of egos? Why wasn't that discussion too? Why wasn't that discussion, if, if it wasn't had, why wasn't the discussion had between Vince and Brett about helping Brett further along the new, the, the new crop of guys? You know, a, a Bret Hart-Rock matchup, I think, could have drawn money. With they Brett did being, with, And, they, and they, Brett was oh, decidedly no, 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 trying no, to put no, him hold over. On, time out, time out, time out, time out. I call bullshit on that. I'm not counting that fucking match on Raw. Where Brett was just starting out as a heel and Rocky Maya was Rocky Maya via was babyface. I'm talking but the Rock. He, he argued in his book to put him over, while the 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 clique did not want. Correct. To put yes, him over. I I understand that, but I'm talking about a more significant, not just something that was thrown together on TV. I'm talking about something significant between Brett and Rock. If Brett had that much stroke, okay. If Brett had had that much stroke, he would have fucking made it happen, regardless of what Sean and Hunter said. Yeah, you, that, they could have built a feud, possibly. They, they could have built but something. Then, with, but then, yeah, I think you're right. That's messing with Brett's ego. He's lower on the card now. Where is he working? You know, he's in the Also, middle too, the I think there's still, I, I think at that time, there was still the opportunity for the redemption story of Bret Hart. You know, turning his back on America. Maybe he has, maybe they, they, they go back to the, the family squabble with him and Owen or him and Davey or whatever. The Hart Foundation implodes. And I think they 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 could have reached the 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 you know the, the the redemption story of of Brett being the hero again. But he's the he's not as high on the card. He's the veteran, you know, the the grizzled veteran that had done it all in the WWF, and he's looking for his redemption. And you get a young buck like The Rock that comes along, or even you know bringing you know including Shawn Michaels into the mix with Shawn and Brett. I just still think there was a lot left on the table for Brett to accomplish in the WWF before Vince could have that option of being like, I can't afford you, pal, but I can help you get a good deal in WCW. 
It's like, crazy. What? It's one of those uh, what ifs. Maybe we yeah. should have that as a what if. Oh, I mean, yeah, we could we could do that all day. You know, we we could that's, definitely. That's, do that. It's crazy uh, to think that like he was almost the catalyst of this attitude era, though. But he he he's the guy who's gone. <laughs> I know, uh, and like I said, I feel like Vince is Vince has done. You know, there's been exceptions of guys that he hasn't held on to, like Hogan, for instance. Hogan was too big of a name for him to 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 lower down the card. Uh, but I feel like. You know, he had done it with Backlund. He had done it with Bruno. He, you know, I, I feel like he could have done something with Brett where he he may have, you know, phased Brett out, but over time while helping the younger guys along, maybe even giving Brett the retirement send-off, you know, where, 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 where Brett, you know, does like a retirement thing similar to Flair when they did the but thing with Flair. But then he comes back later? No, not necessarily that, but I mean, I, I just feel like there was a lot more mileage for him and Brett. and. I think I don't I truly don't know if they ever I'll never know unless I get it straight from the horse's mouth, which I don't think I'll be speaking to Vince anytime soon. (laughs) But um, not unless you're not unless you're a a paralegal. uh, Yeah, that's very possible. I mean, who knows? I mean, I could play one on TV or unless I get sentenced to jail in your vicinity. (laughs) He, uh, he, He would go to federal prison. And that's a white I, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I, but yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I, I get the joke. Ha ha. Knee slapper. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that to me is just puzzling that, that there wasn't an option publicly that we know of for Brett to stay. If, if Vince just said, you know, I might have to cut your contract a little bit. I might have to restructure it, but you'll still be a part of the fold, the legacy of the WWF. You know, in a sense, making him the Babe Ruth of the WWF. Because at that time, Hulk Hogan wasn't around. He was on the other channel. So that's just the, to me, I think that's such a big moment because look what spawned off from it. And it, it i.e. the Montreal Screwjob, which we won't go into great length because we'll, I'm sure we'll be discussing that in November. But that's just, to me, it's, it's just fascinating that that there's no information regarding a conversation like that. Other than the fact that Vince said to Brett, I can't afford to keep you, but I'm going to help you get a better deal in WCW. They won't use you properly. And that's another thing, too. Let's, let's, let me touch on that just for a moment. So I have all bases covered. When Brett decided to stay with the WWF, and he took that 20-year deal a year prior, Vince McMahon, according to Brett, told him, WCW won't know what to do with a talent like you. When Shawn Michaels threatened to walk out, after the locker room fight in Hartford, and he said he wanted to go play with his friends in WCW, Vince told him the same thing. WCW won't know what to do with a talent like you. You'll be creatively stagnant. You'll you'll, you'll be frustrated. And then he offers Sean a $750,000 contract, which was one of the biggest at that time in the WWF. I think he was either making as much as Brett, if not more. I think he was even like Undertaker money. Undertaker might not even been making that. There was a lot of contract disputes around this time. Yes. So my point being is that there's some, I feel like there's just, and this is maybe just a conspiracy theorist in me. There's something missing. What, what, what took place in between that? For Vince Go to be a spy for me. Option. Cause I, I remember there was an AOL like online, you know, the AOL chats that Vince used to do back. Yeah. Oh, I remember those. Yeah. 
So there was one that they said uh, is, it was like 1998, I think, and uh, someone asked Vince, uh, is that Bret Hart is still a spy for you? And, he's, and Vince responded, yeah, and a terrible one at that. Yeah. Oh, I mean, everyone used to say that about guys like Russo, too. Oh, you sent Russo over there. You sent Hall and to Nash. To sabotage WCW. To things up. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. That was, you know, that was a running joke for a while, you know. That was, that, that, that was a running joke for a long time. Some people say that now about AEW. Oh, you sent Jericho over there, you know. It's just, you know, dumb shit. But, I don't know. I just, I to me, I just feel like there's something missing. There, there's, there's just something missing when it came to that conversation. Why did Vince just all of a sudden throw his hands up and be like, Yep, I can't, you know, I, I can't do it. I honestly can't afford you. I have to spend $3 million a year on this paralegal. <laughs> I just cannot, I cannot swallow the truth, Brett, but she can. <laughs> but she can. It stuns Brett's me like, how much, it stuns me how much she's, she, she wants me to pay her, which is a great segue for our next sucking me dry. <laughs> she's literally sucking me dry. Speaking um, of stunning, let's, yeah. let's move on to our next topic regarding this evening of September the 22nd, 1997. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stunning Vince McMahon in the middle of the ring in Madison Square Garden. I'll do let you, you begin. Do you want to go to the audio? Yeah, let's Sh- go to the audio. Shall, shall we go to the audio? It'll be a little bit lengthy, but it, it, it's worth it hearing the reaction of the crowd and the commentary and... Vince's statement and everything. Uh, yes. It's pretty nice, right? Let's do it. All right, cool. Let me cue it up. I want to dedicate this to my loving brother, Brett. Brother, without you, I couldn't have done it. And all my great fans all around here, and especially the loving ones in Canada, I did it. And I'm going to do you proud. Because I love you. Everybody can understand why you're upset. I can understand you being upset, not being able to compete. They can understand that. But don't break the law. He already did. Uh, look at this. So Pulse not going to win this fight with New York City's finest. Don't you understand? Don't you understand why you're not allowed to compete? You can't get that through your head. Don't you know why? Don't you know that you're not physically able to compete? 
you're not ready. If you compete, you could injure yourself for good. You could, you could wind up paralyzed. That'd be good. And the WWF is not going to stand by and let you do that to yourself. These people don't want you to wind up in a wheelchair. They want to see you compete. Everybody wants to see you compete. But in due time, Steve, in due time, Listen to McMahon. Get the violin. It'll hold yourself. Telling the truth. Makes all the sense in the world. Hey, you better be talking to those guys over there. I say put him in the slammer. Listen. Don't you know? People care. In the World Wrestling Federation, we care. They care. They care about you. That's all it is. And you just got to go with it. In other words, in other words, you simply, you got to work within the system. That's all you got to do. Is man, an attorney in the system. You know as well as I do that this is what I do for a living. This is all that I do. And can't nobody tell I, I ain't the best in the damn world. Don't even say nothing. Don't say nothing. Sit here and tell me to work within the system. You ain't the one sitting on your ass at the house like I am. But if, it's that, if that's what it takes to make you or the World Wrestling Federation happy, hell, I feel like Cool Hand Luke. I'll work within your stupid little system. That's all these people ask. I appreciate the fact that you and the World Wrestling Federation care. And I also appreciate the fact that, hell, you can kiss my ass. <laughs>
so yeah there we have it that that uh, man that controversial moment there that big moment that they were waiting for in madison square garden is austin stunning vince i believe i think the whole transition of this attitude era is this moment here um he decided in his mind that bret hart is kind of stale and austin is this new character and he can pull it off and he needs brett gone from the picture and they're going to go in this full swing this this new direction and as we always known that uh besides bob backland uh, i mean bruno to an extent the, these guys are usually wwf is different work rate than wcw uh bret hart kind of belonged in that technician aspect of nwa and uh jim crockett promotions and wcw though with some technical wrestlers i mean of course wwf had theirs few and far between but i think they 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 decided to go in the sports entertainment route pal the attitude era pal these larger than life characters pal and uh and this was the night to to crown to anoint the new uh the new king of it all austin um yeah i i think the timing of it is well there's a few things i want to discuss regarding okay number one that was the big moment the you know the transition that in the video package that was kind of alluded to at least in my opinion that's what i took was that this was Mm -hmm. the big moment this was the moment that um that was going to be on the highlight reel for generations to come. And it has. Okay. When, when, when you talk Madison Square Garden, it's up there. Even though Vince took the shittiest stunner ever. Yes, he did. Okay. Um, but <laughs> let's let's talk about, you know, all the, let's cross the T's and dot the I's when it comes to this situation. The impact it's had and, you know, how it could relate to Brett as well as, um, you know, Austin's rise. Okay. I agree with you. They definitely... They definitely use this moment to not only create a big moment for the guard, but also to essentially anoint Austin as the next top guy. This was like, you know, there's certain progressions when it comes to Austin's trajectory, especially this year in 97. You know, he came into 1997 real red hot uh, with his rivalry with Brett, and then the WrestleMania match, he went from, he he became a, a, essentially a made guy, a star, someone that was going to, you know, someone that you were going to rely on to in, in big situations, big moments. And then that progressed even further with this Heart Foundation storyline. And then all of a sudden, bam, the neck injury, okay? And you and I talked about it off air, but there was a episode of Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard uh, where Bruce and Conrad speculate that the neck injury might have been a work. And they only speculate that from Martha Hart's point of view in her book, where the original idea, according to her, was that Owen and Austin were going to... The, the pile driver was supposed to happen, and it was supposed to make Austin... You know, it was supposed to hurt Austin, and they were supposed to do this angle where he was going to be hurt. Bruce debunks that rumor. Okay. And I feel like faking an injury like that 
doesn't do anything to benefit Austin. Okay, because you figure time off getting paid if he has a guaranteed contract. But at that time, they didn't have guaranteed contracts. They 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 had a down they they had a downside guarantee, but you made money off your merch. You made money off how often it worked. And Austin wasn't well. Look what happened while he was injured. Well, yeah. How much merch did he make? The merch went up for sure, no doubt about it. He became more popular because he was hurt. But and he could talk better than he could work at the time. Let me ask you this: after the after the stinger, let me ask you this: Do you believe that theory? I think Martha Hart was confusing the Dan Severn incident with Owen. Okay. Um, yes. Uh, but I could possibly see politics being played where he does have a prior injury. There was something in, even in the Meltzer report where uh, Austin had talked about a neck injury that was related to his prior injury that he had in ECW. So uh, he he had neck issues going on prior to this. Okay. He gets a stinger from Owen. They decide it's time to just take him off, get some full surgery rehab that he had needed prior. You know how you can like long elongate surgeries. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe yeah, it was something through, that he needed. The, you, yeah, you go. I think there's two procedures. There's one where you go. The fusion, you go through the front of the neck where most of the guys got. Like Austin got it in 99, Edge, Rhino, Kurt, uh, you know, Benoit, those guys. And then there's the ones that Kurt Angle has done where you it's like a short-term thing. That yeah, but through I, the back I, of the neck. I'm saying he prolonged the surgery, the corrective surgery. Mm-hmm. Which so just you rehab. Can prolong, yeah, you can prolong surgeries and then mm-hmm. you can get injured again. Yep. I.e. Stinger. Um, and that might've been an accident and they might've just incorporated it. And I think at the time they were really, really, really free balling a lot of this stuff because of the competition with WCW. Um, so, uh, that being said, they capitalized on it. They can capitalize on that injury. Yeah, yep. exactly. They capitalized. Yeah. So you, so, so I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think she kind of mixed the two up because the, I think the Dan Severn angle a year later was a take on the Owen Austin um, angle, but like different aspects of it, like you know, like the Dan Severn angle, Owen apologizes and and retires, and then that eventually sets up his Blue Blazer return. Um, right. I mean, and and Austin talks. Austin, Austin talks about Owen not re- apologizing, right? Um, Austin has, Austin has said that he, I've heard two different stories. I've heard Austin say that Owen has never apologized and Brett has confirmed it. And then Brett had also further stated that Owen didn't know how to approach the subject because he felt so bad about it, but that he wanted to have a conversation with, with Owen. But then I've also heard, and I don't know how true this is. Maybe Austin was misquoted that Owen apologized once. But with Austin further stating, hey, if I dropped somebody on their neck and almost ended their life, I'd call them 25 times a day. True. So, I, I mean, I wonder if, I I wonder if Austin did that. I wonder if Austin did that with Chono, because he did the same thing to Chono yes. in 92. I remember, you know what? So. I was just going to bring that up. 
I was just going to bring that up. He um, never brings that up in the story of his career, though. Well, I, I, I mean, at that time, you know, Vince wasn't acknowledging the competition or anybody else from another organization. Of course, but I mean, it, it, even even story even going, storied, I mean, even storied things that Austin has talked about throughout his career. He never really mentions that moment with Chono where it happened to him later. Yep. You know? No, you're right. You're right, 100. Um, percent almost five years to the day. Yes. I know. I the irony in of it, huh? It's wild. Yeah. But I, I, uh, nonetheless, they, 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 they made this guy something out of nothing from what they had. I mean, they had a lot of something, but they lost a little steam there with that, with that injury. Correct. They did, but at the same time, like, they capitalized on it, and they kept him on TV because he was popular, and they used they, they used the injury as a way to stack the deck against him. You know, for something, they, they found something else for, for Austin to come up from underneath, to overcome, and it being this injury and WWF management, in their eyes, trying to protect him, but in Austin's eyes, feels like he's being held back by management because of the injury. And so it was, a, it, they definitely capitalized on it, like you said, they were, they were free balling, they were really running with it, and they... They were thinking on the fly here. Um, but my question is, okay, the injury itself, do we get to that point where Austin stuns Vince and he has that big moment in the garden had he not been injured? Because, and I only say that because Vince and Austin didn't have a ton of interaction on TV. Austin, you know, Vince, Vince was still a commentator, even though they kind of acknowledged him as the owner. But Vince was involved in the Brett stuff. Vince was involved in the stuff with Sean on TV. They had acknowledged it then. Austin occasionally would tell him to shut his mouth or, you know, threaten to beat his ass. But, you know, Austin's main focus was really the individual he was involved in, the storyline. Vince was just there to hold the mic from time to time. and offer his I think opinion. this was Vince's coming out year. Yes, I do agree there. Okay, and that's something that we could discuss further in, a, in you know at a later date, especially when it pertains to the Montreal Screwjob. However, does do we get this moment? Do we get to this? Do, do we reach this crescendo? This huge moment in Madison Square Garden had Austin not gotten hurt, because I tend to think that that I tend to think if they were to deliver and give us this moment, this stunner to Vince. I don't think like I don't feel like there would be a lot of substance behind it that leads to this moment if they were to go that route. Had I think they might not have, gotten hurt. You could have had like because let's talk about it. Uh, Austin's injured, then he can't perform in the ring. Um, mm-hmm. Vince knows that Bretts wants to wrap wants to wrap it up. Why would not? Why would he not sew up some of those things with him and Austin? Uh, I think they might have had plans for, like, this is going to be a big moment in Madison Square Garden where Austin gets over by stunning Vince, but possibly uh, uh, Brett is involved in a match with, you know, Stone Cold, where, where Stone Cold gets screwed and Stone Cold stuns Vince, you know? 
Maybe they I, had you plans. Know what, that's something. That, that's something seems a little. More, so all right. So so let's. So all right. Let's let's kind of tie this in here. Okay. So because Vince the dark has, match. Let let's go to the dark match of that night. It, it it's Brett, Sean, and Undertaker in a triple yes. threat. Yes. And Brett goes over. So well, Brett was Brett was the champ at the time. So yes. And they didn't have him pin Sean. I would imagine, right? He beat Undertaker. Uh, I, I believe so. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think, I think they had things blotted out. You know, somebody goes over here at this month on this location because, you know, it, it was blotted out for SummerSlam, like these type of matches, but the Austin injury kind of sent them into that free ball mode. So let's tie what do you think? So let, all right. So let, let's, let's kind of tie this together here. So Vince has the discussion with Brett. Tells Brett that I can't afford to keep him, but I'm willing to offer you, I'm willing to assist in getting you a better deal with WCW. Meanwhile, an uninjured Stone Cold Steve Austin, had he not gotten injured at SummerSlam, still wrestling full-time, is in the main event of Monday Night Raw the WWF Championship against Bret Hart and Austin somehow gets screwed over. Let's say Hart Foundation interference. Mm -hmm. And he's in the ring and Vince offers to you know, wants to interview him. Austin wants no part of it but Vince kind of is pushing for you know, Steve, please share your thoughts you know, with what just happened there. You know, the unfortunate Interference by the Hart Foundation cost you the WWF Championship, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Austin lays into him with a promo about the Hart Foundation running amok, you know, even referencing the locker room fight with Sean, you know, time and time again, the Hart's screwing people over and then just takes his frustrations out on Vince, kick to the gut, stunner. Huge moment, crowd pops, and that's how you set the wheels in motion for the Austin Mr. McMahon. If that was the idea, if that was the idea, I think it was supposed to be the Bret Hart and McMahon. Well, here's the other scenario. Let's say Bret, let's say Vince and Bret never have that discussion. Or let's say Vince Vince says to Bret, I can't afford to keep you at the money that I'm paying you, but I want to keep you and I need your help in getting this, getting the the next group of guys ready. And how about we restructure your deal? And Vince, they, 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 they do the same scenario that I just presented before, but Brett ends up being the, the, the face of the world wrestling federation in Vince McMahon's eyes. He's like the corporate champion. He's the clean cut, you know, he doesn't cuss on TV. He's not flipping people off. He's not drinking beer. He's essentially Vince McMahon's handpicked WWF champion. That's what I always thought Owen could be. Really? Yeah, after Brett left. Um, that was my mind. I thought that Owen was going to be the, the, the top... Uh, Vince, Vince's corporate, like corporate, yeah, corporate yeah, stooge, yeah. But I can see that with Brett. You go into WrestleMania that year with 
I can even we, see that more with Brett being prideful, being like, I've I've been the face of WWF for the for the nineties. You know, I've done look this. Look what these fans yeah. have done to your company. Look what these fans have done to me. Exactly. You know, your handpicked promotion. You're gonna allow the WWF to turn into the Jerry Springer show. Yup. You know, let me fight Austin. And Vince pretty much endorses Brett and the Hart Foundation. And yeah, the biggest say, horseshoe. And then, you, and then or, and boom, hold on, wait a minute. And then, you know, you have Shawn Michaels in the mix. Him and Brett still have some unfinished business, leading to WrestleMania 14. Austin, Brett, and Shawn for the WWF Championship. Because they were trying triple threats out the whole year. They were. They were. They were. I think that they were on to something with triple threats. And I yes. think that they would have done really something big with that um, uh, if they had, uh, you know, followed through. Brett being the hand-picked champion by Vince. Sean, not a fan favorite amongst the audience. Also, not a fan favorite of Vince's. And then, you know, but still, you know, the heel that nobody likes, the, 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 the chicken shit heel with his little click. And then Austin, the one that everybody loves. The, the, the defiant rebel. In the middle. I like it. I like it. And you throw Mike um, Tyson in the mix. And he'll 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 eat your children. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but yeah. To me, I feel like had Austin not gotten hurt, I don't think that moment would have been as big with, with, with him and Vince. I don't think it would have meant as much. Because that, to me, was like, I wouldn't say the saving grace of his career, but his future was unknown at that time because of his injury. It was unknown. No, but I think, yeah, I think the follow up. I think the follow up interviews are what really put him over. The fans were just like, "Fuck, this guy is like." I mean, even leading up to there, you mm-hmm. know, just him being that badass this yeah. whole year had progressed, and it just built up, and you, they just, it, it was like. You lit off a firework and a Roman candle and it fucking skidded sideways, but it still started burning and then popping. Yep. And you were like, oh, cool. Sweet. And the scenario right benefited for all parties involved, too, if you think about it. Yeah. Because Austin was hurt. He couldn't wrestle. Yet, he was committed to being the guy. So, therefore, he would go to TV every week. And they had this storyline where he was, you know, trying so hell-bent to get his hands on Owen and get cleared to wrestle. But the company was trying to protect him and his safety because of the injury. And he was becoming more and more popular each and every week he was on TV. He stunned JR, Sergeant Slaughter. He'd go after anybody that would get in his way from trying to get cleared to wrestle so he could get his hands on Owen Hart. I, and I, that's I, how I you build like a character. perfect cocktail. Yeah. It was, it was storytelling 101 throughout wrestling. That's what smaller promotions did too. Um, throughout the early '80s and late '70s, um, it, it almost felt reminiscent to that. I think that's why some of the older guard uh, tr- started to lean towards Stone Cold Steve Austin because he he was representing that. Yeah, the you know the Bruiser, the uh, the um, the Buddy Rose of the the territory, or something that you know somebody that just like latched on to this like i mean yes there was there was undergoing storylines with the fighting with your boss which which you know had mainstream on its on its ass what what do you think going down in the annals of history goldberg because at this time 
Goldberg debuts. Yep. Uh, Same what, night against Hugh Morris on Nitro. What's your real time thoughts? Do you, did you see the match, or do you do I you did. start getting acquainted with Goldberg, and then immediately during this time, there's a lot of comparison between the two because of yeah. the look. Yeah, the the cos- cosmetically, yeah. Chat me up, chat me up. <laughs> I like that. Nice little nod to 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 my boy Connor. Um, yeah. I I did watch the match in real time. I do remember that, and I do remember thinking to myself that Hugh Morris was going to win, and and a couple reasons why. Number one, Goldberg was already in the ring. Usually, when an enhancement talent is already in the ring. Then that means you know it's you, know, you don't get an entrance. That it's it, it's a foregone conclusion that the guy who comes out on TV gets the entrance. It's it's a foregone conclusion he's coming out with the victor. Even though Goldberg looked impressive, WCW had a lot of enhancement talent that looked pretty big, that looked impressive, um, like High Voltage, uh, Rage and Chaos, that tag team. I don't know if you remember them, but there was a lot of impressive looking enhancement talent that were in great shape that that you didn't see over on the WWF side. But the WWF used enhancement talent. It looked like my Little League baseball coach put tights on and, and got in the ring and got body slammed for about five minutes by, <laughs> by you know, someone. It, it really did. Like, you saw guys that were not in the greatest athletic shape in, in, in wrestling attire that would get bounced around for, you know, four, five, six minutes and made, you know, the, the, the star look good. WCW's enhancement talent, those guys looked like they were in, in, in great shape and could put up a and fight. And on their, their third cycle. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. After the Warlord shot him with another fucking dose. Uh, right, right. Right, in the, right in the ass cheek. But, um... So, looking at Goldberg, <clears throat> in real time, at that time in 97, I thought it was a foregone conclusion Hugh Morris was going to win. And... Mm-hmm. I was more concerned about what the NWO was doing at that time because that was right, that was a week removed from when uh, Kurt Henning turned on the Four Horsemen and slammed the slammed the cage door on Ric Flair and I believe that was the same night on Nitro where Ric Flair disbanded the Horsemen. He was on the phone with Tony Schiavone uh, on Nitro and he disbanded the Horsemen. And I want to say um, on that same episode, I believe Henning might have won the United States Championship from Steve McMichael. I'm not sure. Either it was the week prior or that week. But nonetheless, Goldberg, Hugh the Morris. the week prior, did, I think. It was the week prior? Okay. So, nonetheless, I just thought at that time, Hugh Morris was going to go over Goldberg. So, when Goldberg got that shocking win, nobody really saw it coming. Even the crowd didn't really pop as big for You see it. the guys in the front row, they're like, holy shit, he just kicked out of the moonsault. The, the yeah. no laughing matter. Yeah, and all of a sudden he does a body slam, a body slam. Then he picks Hugh Morris up for this jackhammer. A lot of people didn't know, you know, he he rotated with that suplex, and then just boom. And the front row people were like, one, two, whoa, and they all like went, woo. Yeah, there was a natural reaction. Yeah, it was natural, but it wasn't as big of a reaction, what I recall. At least the announcers made it made it sound like it was bigger than the reaction that we saw the audience of course. give. Okay? Now, then came the interview. When there he was, was no interview. Up, well, yeah, but you know what I mean. Walking up the ramp, and he, he, he doesn't answer any of Okerlund's questions, and then it's like a, you know, a mystery as to who this guy is. 
And at that time, I didn't really think much of it, other than like, this is probably just something that they're trying out. Like, I didn't see well, yeah. like the like the the phenomenon that many people claim to have seen first start. Obviously, they had some type of plan because they said this was an obscure victory from Bill Goldberg. And then right after that, he looks at the camera and goes, this is number one. Yep. So he and somebody had a clue they were going to go on some type of streak, right? I mean, yeah, you could make that argument. But at the same time, WCW was so wild west with with their talents and what they did on camera and, and, and things like that, that. That could have just been Goldberg kind of like pumping himself up, like you know, that's number one, you yeah. know, like that. I but then again, at the same time, you could make the argument that it is a that that it was a, a, a orchestrated effort to build some kind of a streak with him. I think it's I think it's one of the more natural, organic, genuine builds in wrestling history because he he was he. At that time, and I've and I and I've always said this, and I and I'm still a very big firm believer in it. Wrestling needs to be a variety show. You need to give a little bit of something for everybody, you know, whether it's storytelling, the in-ring action, uh, the larger-than-life characters. That you need to have a little bit of something, you know. That the, you need to have a little bit of something for everybody on the show. And WCW, I think, during that time period, did a great job of that. Between the mm-hmm. the realistic story arc of the takeover the NWO in WCW to the, the cruiserweight Lucha Libre style action. Uh, and then you had someone like a Goldberg who was this, you know, no nonsense, take no shit, you know, doesn't work by the hour smash, smash mouth kind of wrestler come in there and beat somebody in decisive fashion in a short period of time. It brought something different to the presentation. And I think over time, they realized, okay, he's a big guy, he's a good-looking guy, he's athletically gifted, and a, and a very strong and powerful individual. Let's play off of those strengths, and let's not have him do more than, than he's capable of doing. And Well, yeah, but I do, think but they, do it they in had a, the But do it in an impactful manner. And... <clears throat> I think over time it just organically grew and built where where the audience they 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 were clamoring to see him kill someone, you know, in in short fashion, you know, and even the even even the folks that you know that 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 tout the work rate of wrestling and the the five star matches and and you know commentate and discuss headlock and hold for hold. Even they got caught up in it because it was so impactful, so powerful every week as to who he would just smash and destroy. And the, no, the, and the, the audience just grew and built and built. And I think it was, it, was the, it was one of the very few things that WCW did get right was how they built Bill Goldberg. Yeah, and whoever, kudos to whoever came up with that idea. Um, I think it was Kevin the, Sullivan. This is what was, they needed the at, the at the time because he he looked like a, I mean he almost looked like a Nikita Koloff, you know, to some degree. Yeah, I could. See and that. the JC JCP audience was uh, used to that type of uh, 
you know, these guys that hung on to the WCW during this era, they were used to that type of ass whooping guy uh, that just put a opponent out and they had jobber matches, you know, scattered throughout because as we know, Nitro became a, a showcase for certain matches, but yeah, you'd have jobber matches scattered throughout. Um, but uh, yeah, just Goldberg took that, took that steam and just that force and, Man, by the end of the year, he was over. Before the end of the year, yes, and it, it went from it went from just him going out every week and killing guys to eventually being involved in some some meaningful stories between the, the his first real major storyline, I believe, was the Ravens with Mc, Steve McMichael over oh. the Super Bowl, oh, yeah. where Deborah had kind of hired him to take out her ex husband. And he had possession of Steve McMichael's, you know, Chicago Bears 1985 Super Bowl. And then it grew from there uh, to Ravens flock. And then eventually um, they realized how hot he was and he became, you know, on the NWO's radar and the, the, the match with Hogan in the, in the Georgia Dome. And then it just blew up from there. But yeah, for sure. Um, I think, I mean, um, what was your what was your comparison to Stone Cold and Goldberg once they kind of hit their peak at the end of this year? Uh, you know, I, Stone, Cold, than, Stone Cold Stone Cold wins the, the Royal Rumble, were, right? And then these yeah, guys he won are the Rumble on ninety eight. Yeah, and then these guys are on full full force, like full head steam. I, honestly, I I think I I didn't really pay much attention to the comparisons cosmetically. Everyone was like, "Oh, he's a stone cold ripoff." The gold, the the goatee, the 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 bald head, the black trunks. You know, that's what my um, friends were saying. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that, I didn't really. To me personally, I didn't pay much attention to it because if he was a full on ripoff, then he'd been flipping the bird, drinking beer, cussing people out, all that stuff, and he didn't do that. And I think people paid, at least I paid more attention to what he was able to do in the ring. And his presentation was, you know, the, the entrance with the cops, the, the the security guard entrance from the locker room door all the way to out to the ring area, like like the how they how they presented him as this killer that he needed a police escort um, to the ring. Uh, the, the cosmetic comparisons it didn't it, it didn't really stick with me um, by any means, and 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 to me I didn't think it really held weight because they, we can count on. God, dozens of hands. The amount of wrestlers that had been that had emulated each other's looks over the years, with the long hairs and the mullets and the and, and bleach the, blonde. Yeah, bleach. But I mean, come on. Like, eh, someone takes something from everybody in wrestling. And okay, I don't think it was. I, I, I don't think it was done as a dig to Austin. I don't think WCW had. No, I think it said, was. I I think it was just Scott Scott Hall being high and just coming up with. Gimmicks. I like to think of a theme of Scott Hall taking a toke of a joint, and then he comes up with ideas. He goes, "You should shave your head, man. Hey yo, you should paint yourself like the crow. Hey yo, you kind of look." I don't know if he. I know he had involvement with Sting's presentation when he changed over. But did he have some involvement with Goldberg? Yes, uh, he 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 was the guy that told him to shave his head. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. Aware of that, I mean, I wouldn't surprise me. He's a creative. He was. He was a creative guy. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He was just taking hits of his joint on the off time yeah. and then seeing guys and coming up with ideas for them. Yeah. Uh, what a great guy Scott, Scott Hall was. Um, anyhow, yeah, uh, I think I think this was a good point of contention like for fans that love WCW and WWF. You could argue over who was better, Goldberg or Austin. Goldberg yeah. or Austin. And uh, that kind of leaded the way for the next couple of years of who was more badass. Yeah. Um, but definitely presented to two different degrees. Mm. Um, uh, just Austin, of course, like we spoke of this anti-authority and we've spoken of so many times, but Goldberg just kind of comes in here like a, just a, a, a brick house like a like a kicker like a shoot fighter you know Mm -hmm. and he just wants to like win and be at the top and that's it almost like a brock lesnar yeah yeah uh he and that was the other thing too that he that he brought something different at that time is the he he kind of adopted some of that mma uh presentation even though shamrock was doing it wwf and that was what bread and butter was for shamrock Goldberg implemented a little bit of that from time to time into his presentation. It wasn't just over time. He wasn't just smash mouth, you know, spear, jackhammer, press slam. He he would he would adopt some, you know, submission MMA type moves, arm bars, leg locks, and things like that 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 the audience gravitated to as well. And um, I don't think Goldberg gets enough credit for his contributions in wrestling. People look at Goldberg as, you know, you know, one dimensional and three or four moves, but you know what? Like one of the greatest of all time, AKA Hulk Hogan was very one dimensional with just a few moves and he did, he did pretty well for himself. So, well, um, well, not even that, just like the, the aspect of like, this guy is kind of a wild card, almost like Brock Lesnar. Uh, a guy that was inspired by him to a degree where they eventually face off. But this, this guy that he can do random, like feats of strength, like he can belly to back suplex you right here. Like he can jump up on the turnbuckle and like, you know, just those big spurts of like sporadic, sporadic strength. Um, they really put those guys over that way. Yes. And it was different it was different from becoming the um the showcase like Andre the Giant who had had a streak for so long. Um a guy that did the same repertoire over and over again and it was like this he was this huge giant. Uh these guys are like MMA normal size but they're just these I, I don't know. Well the difference with Andre that? was was that Andre uh, Andre was a, an attraction in the territory days. So not everyone Correct. He went everywhere, but not everyone saw his act because of the way cable television was structured at that time. Or it was I don't even think it was cable uh during that period of time. So there is there is there is that difference. But I do get I do get get what you're saying along those yeah, lines. Yeah, he traveled around the horn. He didn't he didn't um take too many bumps. He did the same match over and over again. Um it was kind of the predecessor for this streak type of ideal, you know? Yep. And look what the, and, and, you know, on, on the subject of the streak, two things. One, did it go too long? Did we, did we see a weakness in, in, in Goldberg's presentation? 
was the was the streak a hindrance to him? No, or- I think it could have went longer. In honesty, when I was watching live, I thought it was going to go to like two hundred, mm-hmm. at least two hundred or three hundred. Do you think Nash was the right guy to end the streak? No. Uh, even though I love Nash, no, it wasn't right. Um, I I was torn as a child watching it. I was 11 years old, and I was like, what the hell just happened? I love Kevin Nash, but he should not have beat Goldberg. That should have been been a good... He shouldn't have been there yet. I don't think. Goldberg shouldn't have been in that position for him to lose the streak? Um... I think Goldberg could have held the title. Um, he could have diminished the NWO. Then we needed a fresh reset. Then from there, we can build up another face, which I, I can't determine to this degree yet because we all know what happened with WCW in the following years. Um, 99 and 2000 were just ridiculous with like all this ongoing booking. I could have seen... and. You might, you might, I might sound crazy for this. I could have seen Hogan coming back eventually, red and yellow, while Goldberg has had this title for almost three years and is now a mean heel. Hogan comes back and, uh, uh, you know, defends the honor of WCW as red and yellow one last time. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, as the, the, the returning hero legend. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, or Ric Flair. Ah. I know. I know. Because they, they, Ric they, Flair, they, no, I don't, they, I mean, they buried him so bad within those last three years of. What about the DDP? I never, I like, I liked the guy. Never saw him as the guy. But even, even after his performance against Goldberg at that Halloween Havoc, He's just too old, man. Okay, here's one. Sting. Sting, yeah, of course. Yeah, if they would have done it right with Sting. Actually, Sting comes back with the regular face paint all of a sudden, you know? The He's black like, and white or the... Or the uh... n- no more black and white. Oh, Sting so is like... ready to defeat Goldberg as the old school Sting. And he, like, trims his hair not to where it's like... It was like it looked like 96, where it was like kind of like half bleached, but half like dark. Yep. And he kind of had the curls. Mm-hmm. And then he puts the, the, the Stinger surfer paint on. Mm-hmm. Kind of neutral colors. So he reverts back to the, okay. Comes back and beats Goldberg. I can see that. Okay. All right. I mean, I, do I think Goldberg's streak was a hindrance to him? No. Um, but I think at some point I understand the logic behind ending the streak because I think you needed to find, you needed to find another reason to, to get people behind Goldberg because I think eventually the streak would have kind of ran its course and, and they didn't want, and like you said, Goldberg being the champ for like two, three years and it would turn him heel. I think the streak being so long would have turned him heel. 
And I don't think they wanted to go that route. They saw Goldberg as somebody different. They saw him as this like superhero, you know? Yeah. But then don't you want to see the guy get beat? That was the, the whole thing with Ric Flair when he was traveling champion. You want to see the champion get beat, right? Eventually. Yeah. But I don't think he would have, I think, I think there would have had to have been more for Goldberg to be a heel. Like, I think he would have needed a mouthpiece. I think he would have needed to be surrounded by someone that could kind of accentuate his positives. I don't think he would have just been this killer that came out every week on TV destroying people. And at the same time, he I don't think he would have done great as a heel unless he had someone there to help him, someone there to protect him, someone to 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 put more Is heat on he him. Is he ultimately NWO at the end? No. No, okay. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, 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 here's, here's what I think, okay? I wasn't against Nash being the one to end the streak because Nash was pop. Wolfpack was like WCW's version of DX. They were hot, man. Yeah. If, if baby faces were, you know, were in order, Goldberg was one, Wolfpack was two, okay? It mainly Nash. That group was hot, all right? And Nash was a believable guy because of his size and his look and his credibility. So I didn't have a problem with that. What I did have a problem with, and even though I've said in theory the finger poke of doom wasn't a bad idea in theory, the execution of it and the follow-up sucked. Okay? Mm. It just did. It sucked. All right? I, in theory, it does make sense that Nash and Hogan would reform the NWO because Goldberg is this bigger juggernaut than the entire NWO. And for the greater good of the NWO, it's time to get back together to take out this this unstoppable force known as Goldberg. It, so it then why not have Nash theory. at the head of the home head of the helm and then Hogan jealous? I could I, 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 I thought it, honestly Yeah, I know. I honestly thought that that NWO was going to when when Goldberg lost the title in the way that he did with Nash and Hall's help. I thought that Nash was going to take over the NWO, reform like they did, but Hogan was kind of left in the dust. Same here. And then Hogan comes back as this big baby face. Same here. Bites off the NWO. There we go. There we go. That's where I thought the NWO was going. That 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 Nash and Hall were going to kind of be the ones leading the charge of that group, and. Hogan was just out, you know, he was, he was, he was factored out and it, and it kind of plays into the friction that Hogan and Nash had when the, when the group split up in the first place, but Nash mm-hmm. was the one that they all sided with eventually. So that's where I kind of thought that was going. And then Hogan and Goldberg could be this team or, you know, they take out Hogan. Goldberg's the oh, one yeah. that makes the save, you know, the whole nine. And then Goldberg's chasing the NWO for a little while with Nash as the champ. That's something that I kind of envisioned or pictured, but. Um, we didn't get that, obviously. So I didn't have a problem with Nash being the guy to do it. The issue I had was the, the execution and the follow-up, or lack thereof, uh, when it came to that. Uh, with that being said, DDP being involved in you know the, the Halloween Havoc match with Goldberg, he was pretty close to beating Goldberg. So we saw some vulnerability there, which I think Goldberg's character needed. So I think to a certain extent, the streak, it was good for Goldberg, but I think they needed to capitalize more on some vulnerabilities in Goldberg's presentation so that it gave the audience more of a reason to get behind him. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think we saw enough of that. And that's why I think people are sour on Goldberg because he was this unstoppable force that nobody could beat. And I think people wanted to see some vulnerability in that character. And even like a future past the the streak. Because once the streak ended, they kind of just... And they tried to restart it again, but everything was just... They didn't have the same oomph behind it. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, they, no, you're they right, really 100%. Did, they really didn't put it all, all there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think... Man, what an, what an epic night in the history of wrestling, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was... It, it, it definitely launched some some historic moments and essentially launched, you know, the career of Goldberg and made Austin into a bigger star. And the anti-authority figure is yeah. like, is forever ingrained in the it's a formula wrestling. that still gets used to this day. Even with the undefeated person. The, the streak. Yeah. I mean, for years we saw guys that had emulated streaks that, um, you know, they, they, they did it with Samoa Joe and TNA. Uh, they even, Undertaker's WrestleMania streak. You know, I think they, they realized the phenomenon in the audience wanting to see this one wrestler keep winning and winning and winning, that they took that element of Goldberg's streak and put it into the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak and kind of molded it into their own. Um even the current day, Wardlow was undefeated in AEW for a while, and he has this Goldberg-like presentation, which is getting over with that audience. So that's to me, just validates my point in to how much Goldberg is an influence in wrestling history and how he doesn't get enough love for what he contributed to the business, despite being so one-dimensional to most the smart Mark wrestling fan. But nonetheless, a historic night that I'm glad that we were able to cover those key points from that evening. There was other great stuff that happened, like Cactus Jack made his debut in the WWF on that Monday Night Raw that we didn't really get to discuss, but it wasn't as big Classic a Classic match with Triple H. Yeah, that street fight, you know, in New York City. Like, that was, and me personally, that was a special moment as a fan because I was a big Cactus Jack guy from his WCW days. I've talked about that at great length on this podcast as well as my own. So um, that was something that was very special to watch as well. But overall, um, dude, I'm not going to toot our own horn here, but I think we'd had a pretty badass discussion about the, about these three subjects and what September 22nd, 1997 meant to pro wrestling. So I appreciate you uh, uh, chitting the chat with me and, 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 and t- you know, chatting you up, if you will, about this, because this was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was so much fun. Uh, 25 years of this reflecting on the business, and we're still discussing it to this day. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we really enjoy doing these episodes and these themes. If you guys have a topic for Marking Out the Days, please uh, slide into our DMs. Um, write to us at retromaniapodcast at gmail.com. Dave, where can we find you? And we will sign off. Kicking out at two on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. Uh, I'll be honest with you with my schedule lately. The page hasn't been as up to date with things uh, when it comes to, you know, content as well as our show. Uh, but, you know, I'm doing the best I can to still 
deliver um, as much you know nostalgic wrestling content as possible. Hoping to record with Dennis soon, knock out a couple episodes in the next few weeks uh, for you guys as well. Still kind of covering a little bit of 1997 uh, on on deck. I definitely want to cover um, Bad Blood, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker. So that's probably on the docket as well. And then you know, open invitation for you, Kobe. You and I for to sure. watch Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, Halloween Havoc '97. That's Hell yeah! That I've been that's something I've been discussing uh, about doing as well. Um, so yeah, definitely got a lot of stuff on the docket. But uh, check us out Facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out at Two, as well as our Twitter at Kicking Out Two. Uh, you can find all the archived content from Kicking Out at Two on uh, Podbean by searching Retromania with a W as well as any other podcast platform available by searching Retromania with a W. With that, I think it's time that we 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 we, we call it a day. We, 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 we close up shop. We draw the curtain. It's last call. It's time for this show to end, and we will see you all next time.